0: Have your Bibles, turn to the book of Amos, the book of Amos, and we'll be in chapter number three tonight. Uh, Last week, uh, when we finished off, the Lord had asked the nation of Israel a rhetorical question. You remember the question? He said, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And I guess that question could be asked to us too. And what's the answer to that question? The answer is no. And, uh, uh, the Israelites at that particular time were living in, I think really that's their history and it's really the history of mankind, but they were living in disobedience to to the Lord and they weren't walking with the Lord by any means, were they? They were actually walking away from the Lord. And so the Lord warns them through the prophet Amos that this great judgment is coming upon their land. And uh, in verse number four, he uses that metaphor of the lion again. And I always think of the lion of Judah when I hear that. Verse number four, will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out in his den if he is caught, if he is, is caught, caught nothing? I mean, a young lion, when he catches something, he's really proud of himself and he roars. A grown lion, when he's after his prey and uh, uh, he, he's ready to go, he, he roars. And so uh, that's kind of a metaphor that Amos uses two or three times. You remember back in verse number two of chapter number one in his introduction, he says, uh, the uh, Lord roars from Zion. Then when we get to verse number, uh, I'm trying to think, I have put a reference down here. But anyway, in verse number eight of this chapter, I don't need a reference. In eight, verse eight of this chapter, you can look, it says, a lion has roared. So that metaphor is is really common in the book, and and it makes the point that that the Lord is roaring. And, And the point that Amos is making in this verse is a lion doesn't roar for nothing. When a lion roars, he's about to attack his prey or he's caught his prey. And so when the Lord roars, he doesn't do it for nothing. There's a reason for him doing it. And uh, uh, so he's really saying, don't take this prophecy lightly. The Lord isn't into idle talk. When the Lord roars, he's serious about it. These aren't empty threats. And the Lord has roared, and so Israel's in deep trouble. Then in verse number 5 of chapter number 3, he says, Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? I mean, the hunter doesn't set his traps if if he doesn't plan on catching anything, does he? And and the Lord hasn't set this trap or proclaimed this judgment on Israel when he doesn't plan on doing something. And so these aren't idle threats. And then listen to verse number 6. You know, this is a really important thing here because there's a lot of people out here that don't believe what Amos says. Listen to what he says. He says, if a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people be afraid? Well, that's obvious. Uh, But then he says something. Listen to what he says. If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? If there's a disaster in the city, is it not the Lord who has done it? Well, in that particular culture, when that trumpet was blown, it wasn't good news, was it? Something was taking place. Some kind of disaster was coming, and the trumpet was blown to warn the city that this disaster was coming. And more than likely, there was some enemy army that was approaching, and they were about to go to war. And so, when they heard that trumpet blow, they were afraid. It's kind of like if right now we heard s- sirens going off in the city of Lafayette. It, w- it would be, you know, it would make us afraid. What's going on? Is it a tornado? Are the Russians about to attack us? Uh, is there an asteroid on the way? I mean, why are they blowing these, these these sirens? And usually it's just a test. But, but, uh, I don't think they tested the trumpets. So when they heard the trumpets, they were, they were afraid. And so here is Amos, and that's really what he's doing. He's blowing this trumpet of warning that there's this impending judgment of God on the horizon that the people had better retru- repent. Now, God judges Individuals, he judges cities, and he judges nations. And so here's what the Lord wants individuals to know and cities to know and nations to know. If there is a calamity in the city, is it not the Lord who did it? You know, we're guilty in evangelical circles of blaming the devil for everything bad that happens to us. I hear that all the time. We blame the devil for all of the world's troubles. And uh, we forget when we do that, that the Lord is sovereign over his creation and that the devil can't do anything outside the permissive will of God. So ultimately, when there's a disaster, maybe the devil did was the immediate cause of that disaster. But ultimately, who could you blame for it? You could blame the Lord for it. Uh, so uh, when there's an attack on a nation like we had in 9-11, it certainly wasn't the Lord that drove those airplanes into the towers. It's, I, I believe it was men possessed by demons who drove those planes into the towers. But if God had wanted to prevent that attack, could he have prevented it? Yeah, said he prevented tax attacks before that. He certainly had. You remember? I remember. Oh, well, I'll remember it anyway. The the head of the CIA when they were asking him about it, you know, just how terrible it was, and were they expecting this? He said, "Look, yeah, we were expecting it. The miracle is 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 that this hadn't happened way before now, and 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 I don't know why it hasn't happened way before now." Well, we know, knew why it hadn't happened way before now because there was a hedge of protection around this nation. I think still to some degree there's a hedge of protection around this nation. But there's not any storm, there's not any attack, there's not any disaster that the Lord can't stop if he wants to stop it. And if the, if the devil is allowed to wreak havoc in our nation, and our lives, then, then maybe it's God who has, 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 has caused it. And that's really what he's saying right there. And later on, when Assyria came down and uh, attacked Israel in fulfillment of this prophecy, it certainly probably was demonically uh, influenced by demons and Satan. But ultimately, it was the Lord, because the Lord's saying here, I'm the one who's going to cause this disaster in the city. Now, here's the kicker. This principle is even more true... uh, on an individual basis for Christians. I mean, if you've got a disaster in your life and you're a Christian, well, you got to hear me all the way through on this. Is it the Lord? Is the Lord in it? You better believe he's in it. I mean, uh, otherwise he is not omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient. And he's not all loving because... Because if he's allowing us just to live through circumstance, and I hear preachers sometimes say that you know bad things happen to Christians and they just happen by accident. I don't think anything happens to Christians accidentally. And so if we have a disaster, I mean, we might, in an immediate sense, might be able to blame the devil. We might be able to blame some evil person. But ultimately, we've got to ask the Lord, why has he allowed this disaster in our life? Now, let me give you the good news. Whenever we have a disaster or calamity in our life, it is not the judgment of God. Never if you're a born-again believer because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why do bad things happen to us? Why does God allow these bad things to happen to us? Well, there's several reasons, and, and we're going to see here in a minute that, that the Bible gives us these reasons. You, you, if you're a student of the Bible, you might know, not, and you have a calamity come upon you, you might know, not know specifically why that calamity came upon you. But if you search the Bible and you ask the Lord, I believe you can find out. What are some of the reasons we have calamities come upon us? Well, one of them is the chastisement of God. If God loves his children, the Bible says, I mean, if a father loves his children, he's going to chastise their, his, his children. So how much more will a loving God chastise his children? If we're getting out of line, then, then uh, God will punish us. Some people say, well, God doesn't punish us because there's no condemnation. Well, that's a play on sem- that's semantics. Chastisement and punishment to me are the same thing. And I know God punishes me at times, and I bet you he punishes you at times if you're a child of God. And so that's one of the reasons. Another reason is so that we will grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, 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 James starts out, he says, count it all joy, my my, uh, brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that these trials are working for your good. They're producing patience in your life. So God wants us to grow in patience, to grow and trust in our faith in him. And so sometimes he brings trials for that reason. Uh, Sometimes he brings those trials to draw us closer to him. You know, somebody prayed tonight, for, for, I want to be more consistent. You will be. You will be. Whether you pray that or not, if you're a child of God, he's going to make you more consistent. Because if you start getting inconsistent and you start drifting away from him, then he's going to draw you back. And sometimes in order to do that, he's got to bring some kind of calamity in our life. Another reason he does that is or bring, allows calamities in our lives is to, to glorify him, to glorify him. I, I'll take Robin's case, for example. Now, I don't know the exact reason for her, the reason she's having to go through this again, but I'll tell you what, when my conversations with her, she's glorifying the Lord. She's trusting the Lord, and by trusting the Lord in that situation, she glorifies the Lord. And we're told in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 1, that sometimes we're we're allowed to go through certain disasters and calamities uh, so that we can comfort those uh other brothers and sisters in Christ who go through something similar to what we've gone through. I mean, if you've never been in the hospital and suffered through some disastrous health problem, you're not going to be able to comfort someone with a disastrous health problem, and so God gives us these things for for his reason, but they're always for our good. All of these things are working for our good. But I'll tell you what, when something bad happens
1: to me, the first thing I want to know is, Lord, is this chastisement? Have I done
0: something to offend you, to make you angry at me? Uh, And I want to know that. Because you know what I've learned? If I have done something like that, he will show me. A, you know what? You usually don't have to ask the Lord. You already know what you've done. and But you know what's coming to your life that you know he wants to get rid of. You usually don't even have to ask. But if you ask, he'll tell you. And and I ask that. Why? Because as soon as you find out and you know that you're being chastised, what do you do? You repent and you turn around. And guess what happens? The chastisement after a while, it goes away. Not necessarily immediately, but after a while, it goes away. So so uh, I, I believe in that case, God will always tell you, if you ask God, Lord, am I, have I done something wrong here? Am I doing something? Is there something in my life you want to get rid of that you're chastising me for? He will all, Are you disciplining me for, or you're punishing me for, however you want to word it. He will always tell you. He will pinpoint what it is and show you so that you can get that out of your life and you can get him, I don't want to say off your back, but you can get him, get that paddle back in his back pocket. So, so he will always show you that. But so on some of these other issues, he won't necessarily show you right away. Uh, uh, there are a lot of people that say, you don't ask God why, that, that, that God won't tell you why. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe if you if if you're willing to 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 press in really hard with the Lord, the Lord will tell you why, and He'll show you why you're going through whatever you're going through, the difficulty that you're going through. Because look at what look at what look at the very next verse. This is a really great theological verse right here too. Look at what He says. He says, "Surely the Lord does nothing." What's nothing mean in the Hebrew? Nothing. He doesn't do anything unless
1: he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. I mean, everything, anything that he does,
0: uh, he, before he does it, he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. And not for their benefit, but for whose benefit? For the, list, the person who's listening to that prophet, for their, for their benefit. And so he uses these prophets to reveal things to us. And so if we're struggling with something, and really this is in this sense it's on a national level, but it's also on a city level, on an individual level, hey, God, before he takes action in your life, he will, tell, he will, he will reveal it through his prophets. Now, I'll tell you the best place you're going to find the word of his prophets, where are you going to find it? You're going to find it in the word of God. So if you want to know what God's doing in your life, why this calamity has come upon you, uh, the best place to find the answer more than likely will be in the Word of God. And if you press in hard and you get into the Word, more than likely He's gonna He's gonna He's gonna tell you because He says He does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. And really, as born-again believers, most of us, if not all of us, are prophets to some degree. God doesn't want us running around wondering what in the world's going on. He wants us to see that there's purpose in discipline, that there's purpose in the trials and tribulations that come to our life, that there's purpose, that there's purpose in a national judgment like was taking place uh, in
1: Israel at that time. You know, one day,
0: and I don't think it's that far off. God is going to judge this
1: entire world with a terrible judgment called the Great Tribulation. And it's not going to be any big
0: surprise to me when it happens. It's not going to be any big surprise to you when it happens because he's already thousands of years ago told us exactly in detail what he's going to do. I mean, he's going to strike this earth with an asteroid. There's gonna maybe be a nuclear war. You can read Revelation. We'll be we'll be there in a few. Uh, well, I say a few weeks, maybe a month or so on Sunday mornings. But but uh, you'll it, it's almost like reading the news. Did you see in the news this week that that about four or five days ago we had an asteroid the size of a skyscraper pass between the moon and the earth? Did you know that? And then yesterday, yesterday Tuesday we had an asteroid pass through the moon and the earth the size of a bus going like 200,000 miles an hour. Now, I might be off on those how many miles, but several thousand miles per hour. You understand what an asteroid the size of a bus, if it hit this earth, what it would do to us? It, two of them inside the moon and the earth. You know, poor God, he didn't know that was going to happen, did he? No, you better believe he knew that was going to happen. You don't see that on the front page of the news because people don't. Everybody wants to put their head in the sand. But if one of those things hit the earth, let me tell you something. I'm gonna be. I'll probably be out of here before it happens because I got to believe that that's the beginning of the great tribulation or part of the, part of the great tribulation. But there's these warning shots being fired. Hey, this could happen at any time, and it won't be a surprise. It's not a secret that God's gonna judge the world. It's not a secret that that uh, there's going to be a battle of Armageddon. It's not a secret that there's going to be a millennium. It's not a secret that Christ is going to return. God doesn't do anything, anything in secret that he hasn't revealed through his prophets. I mean, anything that, that, that he's going to do, we can find in the word of God. And if you can't find it in the word of God, he'll send a prophet to tell you what he's going to do. Most things that happen to us in life aren't surprises. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have many tribulations. So should we expect to have disasters in our life? You better believe we should expect to have disasters in our life. And and so this principle doesn't apply just to judgments of nations. It applies
1: to all he does. And so we can find out, I believe, what God is doing in our
0: life. If we're willing to take the time and willing to press in and say, "Lord, what's going on here? What are you trying to show me?"
1: A while back, I was sharing this with uh, with uh, John. Uh, a while back, I had this stretch uh, in my life where I, it, it just seemed that
0: I was separated from God. It would seem like I, you know I couldn't even. Sense the spirit of God. I felt like I wasn't saved. I had all of these evil thoughts in me. Mean, it was like the old George was back, and it was nasty. I know it was bad, Sandy. I know she's saying, "Well, man, if the, the old George worse than you, then he was really bad." But I mean, it, I really felt rotten about myself. I mean, I just felt rotten, and I, I mean, I felt like I wasn't even saved. And when you when you feel like that, you, you feel evil. You don't feel like you can really witness good. You don't feel, you, you don't have any joy. You don't have any peace. And for days, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what's going on here? I mean, I know something's going on. I mean, are you mad at me? I mean, what's going on? I mean, what? what why have you withdrawn your spirit from me? Now, I certainly believe that the Lord will never leave you or never forsake you and that you're sealed with the spirit and I believe that, but there's times you sense that he's there and there's times you sense that he's gone, even though he's not gone. By faith, I had to keep believing that he's still there, but I didn't sense his presence. I didn't sense his power. I didn't sense his joy. I didn't sense his peace. I didn't sense his purity. And and I kept asking the Lord, Lord, please tell me. And one day he gave me a verse, and I, like I say, he's revealed these things through the through the prophets. So you look to the prophets, you look to the Bible to see if you can find an answer. And, and I asked the Lord, and he showed me a little verse about it. right at the end of Hezekiah's life, in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, it said, God withdrew him, withdrew from him in order to test him that Hezekiah might know all that was in his heart. Man, that made sense to me. That's exactly, I believe, what God had done in that period of testing. And that's not the first time that's happening. It's probably not the last time it's going to happen. But it's as if God withdrew himself so that I would know what my heart is like without him. What purpose does that serve? It keeps you from judging other people. And there's a real tendency when, as born-again believers, it's us against them and we, we and i know with all the political things that were going on i was kind of drifting that way you know like like you know there's an evil group of people i wish god would just strike them all dead you know that's kind of where my heart was at it was like god pulls back and he says hey your heart's no better outside my grace listen we don't we don't we grow in the grace and knowledge we grow in the blessing of the spirit of god but we ourselves outside of that new nature and outside the spirit of God, we're still as creepy
1: as we ever were. And so sometimes God pulls back and he shows us that. So if you have a calamity going
0: on in your life, and you're going to, the Bible, the prophets have told us, we're going to have that. I mean, maybe you don't want to know, but I want to know. I'm going to seek out God. I want to know, Lord, what, 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 uh, why is this happening? I want to learn my lesson from this. It didn't. After he gave me the verse, it didn't get any better for long. for 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 a week or so, even after that. But at least I knew maybe what I was going through. You know, so it made it better in that sense. In verse number eight, a lion has roared. Who will not fear? There's that. A lion has roared again. The lion of Judah has roared. The Lord God has spoken. But who can prophesy? But but can who can but prophesy? I mean that's what Amos is saying. Hey, the lion has already roared. God is going to judge Israel. What am I supposed to do? I mean at this point, remember I told you he was a really popular preacher in Israel, and up up until he started targeting Israel itself when he was uh, pronouncing judgment on on Syria and, and uh Lebanon and uh, Edom and Ammon and uh the Moabites, I mean, they were all applauding, but then he turned and went to Judah, and then he came up and he hit Israel. And uh, he wasn't so popular, and they were telling him to shut up. We don't want to hear you anymore. And he says here, who can but prophesy? I have no choice but to prophesy. The lion has already roared. Hey, that means he's about to take action. And God's, remember, you know, a... Day, a thousand days to the a thousand years to the Lord is his one day so it, for in Lord and this this was coming quickly actually it was going to be uh, thirty five or forty years before it actually happened but in God's eyes it was coming very quickly and in Amos's eyes it was, he had no in his heart he had no choice but to to tell the people and he says in verse number nine proclaim in the palaces at Ashdod and in the palaces of the, in the land of Egypt symbol of the mountains of Samaria, see great tumults in the midst of Israel and the oppressed within her. So what he does, he, he, he takes these two examples of pagan nations. He says, come on top of the mountain. I want you to look down at Israel and I want you to see what you see. Now they would look down there and they'd say, wow, they're just like us. Is that the way they should have been? Why had God created that nation, the apple of his eye? not just to give them material blessings. That's what they thought. He had created them as an example. He wanted them to be witnesses of of how God will bless a people who turns to him and who live for him. And and they were were given this great task to to be a witness to the nations, but he says, hey, come up here and here's their witness. Look look down at their situation now. They're no better than you are. And so they're going to be judged. And so he says... He says in verse number 10, he says, for they do not know to do right, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery all the way into their palaces. I mean, the evil of the nation had made it way all the way to the top. It always does. It always does. I mean, there's a principle in the Bible. It's not stated specifically, but, but if you study the Bible and you study the history of Israel, you study the history of nations, What kind of leaders does God give a nation? He gives them the leaders they deserve. And so if a nation is permeated with with, uh, violence and robbery and lying and all of that stuff, then guess what? They're going to get those kind of leaders. Uh, If their souls are rotten, then the leader's souls are going to be rotten. There's some exceptions to that. Sometimes God shows mercy on a nation on behalf of the remnant. And sometimes he gives us leaders better than what we deserve but even then it's almost it's almost like uh they're still not what you really want them to be i mean i would like to see somebody like billy graham as president of the united states well guess what that's not going to happen because there are not many billy grahams in the nation and so that's not going to happen but he does give us a chance and that's why we're to pray for our leaders and pray that god uh puts it in their heart and uh, to allow us to be able to share the gospel. But at the point comes where we don't even give a flip about sharing the gospel, he's not going to even do that. So we can't pray God give us leaders that uh, allow us to proclaim the gospel when we have no, des- no uh, desire to share that gospel. He's not going to give us those kind of leaders. Right now, I think we've got a reprieve in this nation. And I think that uh, we we'll be able to exercise our First Amendment rights at least for a while. Uh, the way it was going, the only people who were going to be able to exercise their First Amendment rights were those on the left and the Muslims, but not born-again Christians. But I think we've got a reprieve for a while, and I think we need to step through that door and all of us uh, take advantage of that time that we have left before those asteroids don't hit, come between the moon and the earth, they actually hit the earth. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord, the Lord God, an adversary shall be all around the land. He's talking about Assyria. He shall sap your strength from you, and your palaces will be plundered. Because the lion is roared, the Assyrians are coming, get ready. You need to repent. That's your only hope. Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs and a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out of the hands of Assyria. The shepherd, the good shepherd, the Lord's going to take uh, what's left of Israel. and He's going to protect them and watch over them, but there's not much left. It's not a pretty sight, is it? When all, when the shepherd finds his sheep and all that's left is a, is a couple of legs and an ear, that's not, a, that's not a very pretty sight. It's a bloody mess. And that's what he's saying. There's going to be a remnant, and the shepherd's going to take that remnant but it's not going to be good. Uh, Just a few legs and an ear, just a few thousand people is is all that's going to be left of the nation of Israel. He says those who dwell in Samaria in the corner of the bed and on the edge of the the couch, they're going to be taken. Uh, Those who are uh, living on the bed of ease at the expense of the poor and the righteous uh, in Samaria are going to be uh, taken out by the Assyrians then we'll, we'll let's read the last three verses there he says, "Hear and testify against the house of Jacob says the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions, I will visit destruction on the altars of Bethel so I'm not only am I going to destroy the nation, I'm going to destroy that wicked religion that they Jeroboam the first set up when he put that golden calf up there. He said that's coming down, and all those altars of the of uh th- that are Altars to Jehovah are coming down. All those altars to the pagan gods are coming down. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will, and then listen to what he says. He says, I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house and the houses of ivory shall perish. I mean, Israel in that day, remember they were having an economic boom. It was a, they were in a state of prosperity. People were making so much money that they were living in these large ivory towers and these beautiful mansions, and not only did they have a mansion, they had a house on the beach for the summer, and they had a house up on Mount Carmel uh, for the winter where they could go snow skiing. I don't know if they snow skied back then, and I, you know. but who knows? Maybe they did. Uh, maybe you could do a dissertation on snow skiing in Israel. <laughs>
1: Uh, but uh, what does the Lord say about all of that? It's coming down. It's coming down. I mean, you've ignored the poor, he says. You've made it impossible the righteous to get ahead. You've made yourself so rich that you have these
0: mansions and you have a home on the beach and you've got a home in the mountains. And you think because of that that you've arrived. You've become complacent in your relationship with the Lord. You think you're going to live forever. Kind of like the guy that, you know, Jesus talked about in that parable that he, he, he had uh, made so much money in his farms that he wanted to build more barns. And Jesus said, hey, man, you, your soul will be required of you today. And that's what he's saying to the Israelites here. Your soul's about to be required of you. And those houses aren't going to do you any good. The summer house and that winter house and the mansion you have. You know, there's nothing wrong with having things. God had blessed the nation of Israel just like he's blessed all of us here in the United States of America. There's nothing wrong with having things, but if those things cause us to become complacent uh, in our relationship with the Lord, to cause us to think, hey, we've arrived, we don't need the Lord. And that's really, I think, Kind of the, the attitude of Americans today. We don't need the Lord. We want, in fact, we want the Lord out of our life. We're doing just fine, thank you, Lord. We don't need you. And if those things make us think that we've arrived in, and, hey, we're just going to live forever and things are going to go on just like they they are going on now, then the best thing God can do is take those things away. And I think. You know, one of those questions you ask the Lord, why? Sometimes when you might lose some wealth or something, you know, maybe that's why. Maybe they've come between you and the Lord. And
1: so uh, the Lord says, hey, I'll just, I'll remove all of those luxuries you have. But God doesn't do anything, anything, without first telling God. The
0: people through the prophets and the prophets wrote these 66 books of
1: the Bible and you know what the prophets say the prophets say the wages of sin one sin is death one sin is death eternal death the judgment of hell is coming There's, that's not a secret
0: anybody that goes and stands before the Lord at the great white throne, judgment seat, can't say, well, man, I didn't know about hell. I guarantee everybody in this country has heard about hell. They don't, want to, they, they don't want to hear about it, but they've heard about it. And everybody in this country knows that God is holy and that they're unholy. Everybody in the country can look up every morning and see the sun and they can see the moon at night and they can see the stars and they can see their look at their own hands and their own brain and they know that they're created
1: if they got any sense at all. And they're accountable to God. The prophets tell us that. Whether we listen to
0: the prophets or not, there wasn't a lot of people listening to Amos in that day. Whether we listen to the prophets or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the truth. But the prophets have also given us some really good news, haven't they? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Man, a great life. Not not eternal misery, but eternal bliss. Eternal joy, eternal peace. And that life begins the moment we turn ourselves over to the Lord. No secret. The gospel is not a secret. It's gone out into the world. We certainly know the gospel. And we certainly know that the Lord loves us and loves us enough that he sent his only son to die for us. That's some really good news. That's what the, all 66 books of this Bible are about, even the book of Amos. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the good news that we've heard tonight. Uh Sounds like bad news for Israel and I think in some ways, Lord, it looks like bad news on the horizon for our nation at some point. Bad news on, horizon, on the horizon of this world, Lord, but but you've shown us the reason bad things are coming. And, and Lord, we, you have given us this opening now to, to share your word and to, 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 to speak the truth to a lost and dying world. Help us to do that, Lord. Give us opportunities and give us boldness. And, Lord, because uh, we've been given uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, help us to share that in this lost and dying world.
1: We can only do that by your power and your grace. We ask for that in Christ's name. Amen.